Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. People love hearing how right they are. a line from the tv series the americans in season three episode three fbi agent stan beeman he is asked about his past undercover work where he infiltrated a white supremacist group and the fbi colleague asks him how are you able to succeed in that assignment and stan tells him you just keep on telling them what they want to hear over and over and over again and then he uttered that great line. People love hearing how right they are. Greetings and welcome inside the Ella studio. Glad you're here. Glad you click play. Invite you to go check out the other episodes. Use your favorite podcast platform, or you can go to the website, leaningtowardwisdom.com. There is a private Facebook group. You can get in if you want. Click the Facebook icon over at the website. It's a small group. Kind of keep it that way, to tell you the truth. I regularly get, <laughs> regularly get people who try to get inside there's only one question to answer and it's amazing the people who try to get in who either don't answer the question or who give the wrong answer so the bar's really really low my name is randy cantrell i'm your host here coming off of post-covid symptoms so if i sound congested and stopped up that's why years of coaching people mostly high performers well, because they're the ones that are focused on getting better. It has shown me how true it is. The statement that Stan Beeman made in the TV series, the Americans, people love hearing how right they are. I've had a few non-performers who resisted the process of coaching. Not many, but a few, mostly because that's exactly how it is. They want to hear how good they already are. Well, they thought they did until I challenged them to look more closely in the mirror. Stop making excuses. I came up with the best illustration because I would, I would continually be asked over the last dozen years, well, what exactly do you do? And I would explain to people, well, I help people paint themselves into a corner where there are no more excuses and they're forced to look in the mirror. And that really is the work. Average people want to hear how good they are. Great people want to know how they can get better. You may have seen a meme like that applied to athletes, but I have found that it applies to all humans. Average people want to hear how good they are. Great people want to know how they can get better. When we hear how right we are, well, we can avoid thinking about how wrong we might be. So I get it. I mean, the urge to constantly feel good about ourselves, that's very real. Uh, sure, 
sure beats feeling bad about ourselves, I suppose. But that is the trouble, in my opinion, with modern culture. The assumption that it feels bad to realize that we can do or be better. I don't know why that's the case. I don't know why we are made to feel badly because we can do better. It's a lie. It's a lie. And most of us know that it's a lie because we have felt tremendous pride in growing and improving ourselves. I know because I continually ask people, think about a time when you were wrong and then you got it right. Think about a time when you didn't do as well as you later could do. And now what is that feeling like post improvement post growth to a person? Everybody talks about how great it feels to do better. People will sometimes smile. They'll even snicker. They'll even chuckle. They'll even kind of be self-deprecating about how, when they first tried something, it was just such, it was a miserable, it was a miserable failure, but they learned from it and they grew and you can just see the pride swell up in them. A good kind of a pride that they overcame that they learned something, they figured something out. And so we all know this. We've all experienced this. I don't know I don't know where along the way we, we lost our way to now just at some point in our life, we just want to hear we're already good enough. And you even see that meme in social media. You're good enough. Are you, are you, I mean, that time that you attempted it and you failed, were you good enough then, then why get better? Not everybody finds value in being challenged, no matter how much care is displayed. In 2007, a book was published that provided one of the biggest challenges for me professionally. Computers were really in vogue, much more so you know, than they had been. We're, we're now about a decade into this whole internet thing. And I was beginning to be fascinated with data. And I'm not a geek. I'm not a nerd. I've got some technical savvy. But I was really, I was really began to be fascinated by data and by what do the numbers say. And a book was published, I think by Harvard Press, Competing on Analytics. The New Science of Winning. I loved that book. I just recently in The Purging got rid of it, along with a ton of others. I loved that book because it challenged a lot of things from me. And I found it invigorating. And immediately, I started viewing business, the business I was operating, through a different lens. My curiosity soared. Which is saying something because I was already driven by a lot of questions. Well, my experience with that book in 2007 helped me better understand what had up to that point been a lifelong pursuit of seeking challenges. 
I don't mean challenges in obstacles or difficulty. I mean challenges to my assumption, challenges to my perspectives, challenges to the way that I might be thinking, challenges to what I might be seeing, challenges to what I may have even already learned and believed to be true. But as I thought about this, it had begun really from years of studying with older men about the Bible working hard to derive whatever wisdom could be passed on, asking questions, looking for areas where I could grow, where I could improve. Turns out, well, turns out there weren't any areas that I couldn't grow. There were no areas where I didn't need improvement. In my 20s, I developed a habit that was very foreign to the industry where I worked, the business plan. I was not involved in the startup world. I've never been involved in the startup world. I was mostly involved in what was commonly thought of as turnaround work. That is taking an existing enterprise from one level to another level. In some cases, fixing a whole lot of what ails you. But I began to write detailed, in-depth business plans to answer questions that I would ask about the organization that I was already involved in. And I would spend hours digging for the truth, looking for facts, looking for evidence from which to draw conclusions. The whole pro forma thing of, well, okay, hey, if we sell this much, then we make this much kind of a thing. I was wanting that to really be steeped in evidence. I've talked about it before. There was a book that came out. I got rid of this one too. I mean, I can so many great books, you know, the, the hard evidence fact based leadership. I'd never encountered that term, but a couple of big shot, smarty pants guy from Stanford. I think a guy from Harvard, I start reading this stuff and I'm like, well, yeah, that that's congruent with the way I roll. I've got such a strong gut feel and intuition, and I really pay attention. But I wanted to make sure I'm getting this right. So I'm looking for evidence. And I'm not looking for evidence to back up what I already think. I'm looking for evidence to help me determine what I should think. And that really led into the whole business plan kind of a way of life. Looking for facts looking for evidence so that I could draw conclusions and make that part of the plan. 3M, the company, 3M, a premier company at the time. Well, not that they aren't today, but I happen to know a few employees at 3M, and it was very clear that their company was on the bleeding edge of innovation and fact-finding. These were the days of Jack Welsh's General Electric, and I became a big fan. So here are these two enormous companies, 3M and General Electric, and I'm, I'm operating. <laughs> listen, I, these people are operating in a whole different orbit than I'm operating. But I was intrigued. I was intrigued because these were companies that had resources I did not have. They were learning things that the rest of us needed to know. I was happy to piggyback on their research. They were very instrumental in my quest to challenge myself. Now, 
this was my professional life in the early 80s. By 1982, I was beginning to gain some insight how other people viewed being challenged. I was forming my own leadership philosophy, my own business viewpoints on how to best build, organize, grow an organization, grow a business. The more people I hired, the more apparent it became to me that the ideal candidate for my style of leadership were people who most enjoyed being caringly challenged. Let me put a heavy emphasis on that descriptor, caringly, which in my mind didn't mean soft pedaling. It didn't mean coddling, but it meant that you had to have the other person's best interest at heart. And I would often be criticized mostly by my wife that I wanted something for someone more than they wanted it for themselves. I learned the hard way that sometimes it didn't matter how much I cared. The other person sometimes didn't have any interest in being challenged. That was intriguing to me. And so I began to look for answers. Why? Why? Why do some people so embrace it and other people so resist it or be apathetic toward it? Sometimes it seemed that the other person simply had little or no experience with the sensation. Sometimes I could explain. I could try to get through to them, and sometimes I couldn't. I realized that I had years of experience from my earliest memory of older folks challenging me. And it dawned on me that I never felt picked on. I never felt competed with. I didn't feel anything negative. I mean, these old folks wanted me to be better. I was thankful they were willing to invest time and effort into me. But truthfully, truthfully, I was driving the bus. It was me who was seeking them out at every turn. Oh, yes, they were willing but I was making the first move always at some point during a, a lunch with an older mentor, a business mentor, I, I learned their perspective. One that previously was not known to me after more questions and a lot more listening. He offered me a piece of encouragement that, well, it was delivered more like a statement. I was in my twenties. He was in his eighties. And he told me that I was one of the most strategic thinkers that he had ever encountered. And he said to me, your willingness to question yourself and others is rare. You're way ahead of the game because you seek answers and you're willing to listen. But the profound thing that he said was old guys enjoy passing it on to young guys who crave the wisdom. Old guys enjoy passing it on to young guys who crave the wisdom. And there it was. He was expressing what I was finding out in my hiring and my leadership. And I was in my twenties. He was craving people willing to be challenged. And I was that guy for him. Well, at least I was one guy like that for him through the years in my professional and my personal life. I have learned more and more about how many people in my life were not concerned with learning. We're not concerned with being challenged. Most simply wanted to be told that they were doing great. I've spent decades 
attempting to crack that code, whatever that code may be that can unlock a person's desire to see in themselves something better. It's not an indictment on how well they currently are doing. It's more about reaching for something that's even better. And that's why my wife has told me for decades, you expect too much. I'm not sure they, whomever we might be talking about, I'm not sure they can do any better. And that idea just was completely foreign to me. I'm not sure they can do any better. And I'm not indicting her. It's quite frankly, she's right. She sees the world through a different lens than I do. She sees somebody and maybe they're not so good. And that's as good as they can do. I just can't accept that. So I would often ask, what do you mean they can't do better? I mean, how's that even possible? Can't we all grow? Can't we, can't we all improve? She can answer for herself. I mean, I can, I can tell you for straight up. No, she, she, she doesn't necessarily think so. There've been times when I questioned it, but not for long. I would always revert back to my default point of view And that default point of view very simply is summed up in we can all grow and improve. Yes, I freely admit I could be wrong. I don't see, well, I do see a downside. I started to say I don't see the downside in that perspective. That's not entirely true. There is a downside to that perspective, but it's the same downside that I argue with people who who we have this argument sometimes doesn't happen all that often anymore, but it used to pessimism versus optimism being an optimist. What's the downside? And the only answer I've ever been given is, well, you'll be disappointed. I'm like, well, I'm going to be disappointed anyway. So why not be optimistic? And it's the same thing with this. We can all grow and improve. I might be wrong. I freely admit I might be wrong about that. But what's the downside? What's the downside to the belief that we can all grow and improve? Okay, well, you'll be disappointed. Okay, I'm going to be disappointed anyway. I have learned this. Not everybody's interested. Even more, I've learned that I don't have the skill. I do not have the ability to convert the uninterested into the interested. It seems to me that people either crave the challenge or they don't. Let's talk about the closed mind. You know, for years I have fixated, I have attempted to figure out why people, why people don't crave this thing that I'm, I'm craving people wanting to hear how right they are. Do you know people who they don't take compliments very well? Yeah, I'm one of them. Listen, I crave respect. I don't crave praise. I don't do well with praise. I'm, I'm way more fascinated by, and of course, everybody throws the word constructive in front of the word criticism. And most of us really don't have a clue what that means. And I can be as guilty as the next guy of wanting and trying to help somebody that doesn't ask for it. I have learned over the decades. I don't do that. (laughs) I don't do that anymore, but to look at a person who's who's got this closed mind. And I think, you know, it, it wasn't always that way. It wasn't always that way because if if it would have always been that way, then they wouldn't have learned anything and they've clearly learned some things. So at what point 
Did they decide I've had enough? I, I've, I've learned enough. I've grown enough. Don't need any more. Years of pondering have not given me any answers, by the way. Mostly I have concluded that over time, people seem to feel threatened. And instead of hearing about growth and improvement, what they hear is I'm not good enough. What they hear is that wasn't very good. And that isn't necessarily the reality, but it's a perspective and it just can't be more different than how I see the world or how I see myself in the world. Now, this is not about being a contrarian for me. It's about not yet having reached a pinnacle ever. I mean, come on, there's always new heights. There's always unrealized potential. Even if it's only incremental, I'm interested. Unless you, you get the wrong idea, that doesn't mean that I achieve it. Listen, I got a long way to go. Unless you think that that's an overestimation on my part of my potential, it's more a statement of my being an underachiever. Over time, I've been convinced by people closest to me, namely my wife, that I may see in people what they'll never see in themselves, but I don't know how to unsee it. I don't know how to resign myself to the fact that I look in the mirror. I look at somebody else. I especially can look at somebody who's half my age and they think they've got all the answers. And I can see quantum leap growth if they would only ask some questions and seek some answers, but they're so dead set that they're already God's gift to the world. They're not going to learn anything that if they would just venture into this land of pursuing wisdom and trying to figure things out that there might be a few older guys in their life who would be thrilled to help them, but they're not interested. I'm slow to resign myself to the fact that many people, maybe most people just love being told how right they already are and to be left alone in their self-esteem. Delusion is a great thing, I suppose, if you enjoy it, but that makes it even more problematic time perspective and learning how wrong I was. So I'm purging possessions in pursuit of a more modest lifestyle. Now, it's not that I've ever embraced an extravagant lifestyle, but I am following my urge for a much simpler, plainer life. And during this purge, I have come across mounds of paperwork, letters, notes, documents of all kinds. Thankfully, I have managed to throw away well over 90% of it, but in a kind of sort of going through it, not page by page, just kind of scanning through this stuff. Some of these documents have reminded me of past events where I so wish I would have made a different choice. I so wish I would have taken a different path. And for the, for the past few days, I've thought about my regrets. Oh, I, you hear people say, well, I don't have any. Well, I listen, I'm here to tell you, I got plenty and my regrets sparked by going through all these documents and I had an epiphany. And after all, you know, I am just a man in search of an epiphany. And now that some time has passed 
and I'm no longer the same person I once was. Hopefully I'm better. I can look back and I can realize a few simple things resulted in my wrong decision. So I'm, I'm thinking about these documents and I'm reminded of some things over the past decades. And I conclude that my being wrong largely comes down to two things. One is pride. It is always enemy number one. Two is failing to be true to my convictions. In almost every case that was sparked by the first one, pride. Pride will cause compromise. Pride will help you do things that you might not otherwise do, even want to do. And those two things summed up the overwhelming majority of regrets that I have about my past behavior based on some of these documents that I was encountering. I mean, there are so many things that I would do differently now that I'm older and wiser. But when you're 20, you don't have the perspective or wisdom of an old man. And you don't have it when you're 40 either. Because life is a learning journey, and I have learned a lot. And it could be easily argued that I, had I not made those mistakes, then I would not be who I am today. And some would say, well, that would be an improvement. <laughs> Listen, the journey of our life, whatever it is, the journey of our life helps forge us into who we are and who we are becoming. I don't think that that means that you could or should avoid regret. I don't think we can become obsessed with it because, well, it is what it is. I've been wrong about so many things all along the way, but I've learned. I'm not who I once was. Now, it's, this isn't some Jekyll and Hyde kind of a change. It's more of a morphine into what I hope is an improved version of myself. I'm a better old man than I was a young man. And I would hope that that would be the case for everybody. I would hope that as we get older, we are getting better. I know it's different. It's why I look so with, with such wonderment at a young man who tearfully retires from professional athletics and he's still years away from hitting 40. But he's played this game since he was a little kid, and it's all he knows. And it's a Buzz Aldrin kind of a thing. When you've walked on the moon, how are you going to trump that? You've played a professional game for years and years and achieved some degree of success, and now it's gone. How are you going to beat that? How are you going to get better? Well, you're not going to get better as a baseball player by getting older. You're not going to get better as a football player by getting older. But it doesn't mean that you can't be a better human. It doesn't mean that you can't get better and grow as a person. It doesn't even mean that professionally there's not more to accomplish. Just not that. It's about the journey to become as good as we can be. I'm a better old man than I was a young man, and I would hope to still grow better and better and better, and I would hope that for you too. Mostly, I have learned to let go of pride. Now, let's give a description to this, and the best word to describe this is ego. 
the pride that I am going to hang on to is the pride of wanting to do better. It's the desire to improve, the desire to forge new ground and accomplishment. It's the pride of knowing that I'm giving good effort toward the accomplishment. It's the pride of getting better. But the ego, ego is melting away. I'm intentionally working hard to melt it away. That was not easy as a young man. In fact, I'll go so far as to say, I don't know that I gave it much effort as a young man because young men are filled with ego. Oh, some old men are filled with it too, but you know, life has a way of showing you who's boss and there is some resignation that accompanies getting older. Well, I call it a resolve. It's a result and it's a good thing. It is a good thing. If you are older and you learn it, resolve is a good thing. Well, I am older and I have learned it. Growth doesn't happen because you're already right. Growth happens because you don't yet know, but you learn. Growth happens because you haven't yet figured it out, but you're working on it. Growth happens because you learn you're wrong, which prompts you to learn what's right. At least more what's right. Storms and challenges and being shown that you're wrong. And correction. This is the stuff of personal growth. I don't know your journey. I only know my own and I'm still figuring out my own, my past, like yours, it's in the books. It's done. It's over. Yes. I'm a firm believer in repentance. I'm a firm believer in correction. I'm a firm believer in fixing what you can, but we've also got to let the rest go and leverage it for study and for research and for figuring out our present and our future. I can't go back and relive my regrets. I can't go back and make a decision that now with historical perspective, I wish I would have made. It's not possible. Now I can live in that headspace all I want. It still isn't going to make it possible. What I can do is I can go back and I can look at it. I can think about it. I can study it. I can examine it. And figure out, okay, now what? Because today belongs to me. Today belongs to us. We can lean into hearing how right we are and be swelled up with some pride, I guess, ego, or we can lean toward wisdom and we can welcome the challenges that question whether or not we are right and whether or not we might be able to get it more right. Those people in those moments where we are compelled to stop and think. Those moments where we are provoked to wonder, do I have this right? More importantly, moments where we can display our dedication to figuring out whether or not we do have it right. And making some real-time adjustments to our choices. Making some real-time adjustments to our actions so that we can exercise wisdom And hopefully look back with even fewer regrets. Proverbs 26 verse 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than him. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Well, now, these are are tall orders. I'm thankful to teachers, mentors, and old heads. 
I talk about them increasingly more and more, and I know that. The highlights of my own growth and improvement resulted from hours and hours and years, years, years spent with people willing and able to help me. People who were dedicated to my growth. I now know that my pursuit of these people resulted in extraordinary outcomes that otherwise would have never, ever happened. I thought it was just the way to go. I'm learning now that I am older. It's rare. It's rare. It is just not the way that people Stan Beeman got it right. People love hearing how right they are. I, I didn't, I was seeking out older, wiser men. I would confess to them. My wondering, I would ask questions. I would shut up. I would listen. I would learn. I would take it all in. I would continue to push the conversation forward. I would continue to connect regularly with these mostly men. It started when I was a preteen started somewhere around the age of 11 persisted until I began to lose these men to death. And there were half a dozen or so that towered above all the others. They were all a decade or two, maybe even three decades ahead of me. And without them, I'm not who I am. My growth is largely, largely due to their influence, their instruction, their caring challenges for me to step up, do better, get better, grow. My failures, they are completely my own. I, I own them lock, stock, and smoke and barrel. And these men are all gone now. My original guys, they're all gone. I've sought out a few new ones along the way. The sad thing about getting older is that none can replace the guys who journeyed so many years with you, especially when you were younger and what we call these formative years. But I just figure it's how life goes. Old chapters give way to new ones yet to be written. So I'm busy writing. I'm busy writing, and I hope to encourage you to keep writing your story, too. Let's make it better. Always better. Well, the project continues in spite of the uh, COVID setback and been boxing stuff up and uh, clearing things out. As Tom Petty says, it's time to move on, time to get going. I don't agree with him. What lies ahead, I got no way of knowing. Eh, okay. It's largely true, but... We're at least trying to architect what, you're, what we're trying to architect, right? We're writing the story, and I want you to do the same thing. Growth, improvement, what's that going to look like? It's been said that great leaders see the future first, so prove yourself a great leader, a great leader of your own life. See the future first, and now start trying to make that happen. It's the whole object of leaning toward wisdom modern tales of an ancient pursuit 
It's why the whole podcast got started to begin with. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. My name is Randy Cantrell. Greetings and welcome. Inside Yellow Studio, version 2.0, which sooner than later is going to come to a close and give way to version 3.0. And you know what 3.0 is going to be, right? Better. Always better. Better.